HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load Knows that country music's gonna save your soul The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues That's him It's gonna get you some in the end Welcome back to The Speakeasy I'm your host, David Bolte In the studio today, coming back from about six months ago We have Rob Newton, chef owner of Searsucker and uh, Smith Canteen. That's right. Lovely Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. And along with him today is bartender Matt Hopkins of Searsucker as well. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, Damon. It's been uh, it's been a little while now since you've been on. Uh, last time you were on, we were talking about the first of all the the domestic spirits driven bar and you had just gotten your liquor license so it was uh in the very early developmental stages of putting the cocktail program together and uh what is what have you uh noticed from the time of conception to now like how has it been received by your customers i mean i'll talk about it briefly but i think i think matt can talk about it a little bit more i it hasn't really been that big of a challenge for the guests as far as i know it's only put us into a little bit of a corner creatively which i kind of like because um, I, I tend to do that with everything I do. Yeah. Um, but it's only been a little bit of a challenge for us uh, when you start thinking about it creatively because there's certain things you can't use, like certain bitters and sure. take Angostura's out of the mix. It's kind of a problem. Yeah, that's that's pretty huge. <laughs> yeah. And then our only other really challenge, and I'll pass it over to Matt, but I think it's uh, tequila has been one of the only things we really can't use. And oh, sure. I feel okay about that. You know, What do you think? Uh, it's somewhat liberating to not serve tequila. Um and to have sort of a, a stripped bare list of uh, of spirits to have, like you said, it does create some we'll call them opportunities, <laughs> as opposed to being you know kind of backed into a corner. Um, but what, I think when you have like an a, 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 like an orb that you can operate in creatively, exactly. I think I think your creative output might 
increase on some level yeah. because you know the constraints. You know your little zone that you're well, in. Well, it's, exactly. like, it's like when you lose one sense, all the rest of your senses become heightened. You know, exactly. it's kind of like totally, that. Totally, totally. If you want to put it the... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Kind of, um, yeah, cool. So, uh, Matt, you've been with, uh, with Rob now for, I guess, since like the last time I actually spoke to Rob. Uh, yeah, seven, eight months, I guess. Yeah, it has, it's been fairly recent. Yeah. 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 Cool. And you moved here from uh, Massachusetts, right? That is correct. And that's yeah. where you started bartending. What are some of the, the differences between uh, bartending in Massachusetts and then moving to New York City? And- oh, man. <laughs> speed. Speed, speed, speed. Uh, I, I, I really studied hard. I really thought I was ready. And uh, until you actually find yourself in the craft bartending scene in New York, you really don't know how hard it is to keep up. Uh I used to work in a 120-seat dining room, uh, no bar back, full service at the bar, making drinks for every table in the room, um, and still, <laughs> it, it, it didn't make me ready for, uh, for the New York scene and how fast-paced it is and uh, just the level of excellence that's required for it. Sure. Is it, is it because of the, the actual pace of like the dining experience, or is it like technical aspects? Um, I think, I think, yeah, no, it's a mixture of both for sure. I think, I think there's also an expectation in New York where, you know, you need to have everything in your head at all times and do it with a smile and be talking to people at the same time and on the phone and listening to your boss and, you know, just having all these things up in the air juggling at the same time and, and, and doing it well. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a challenge for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I always say, you know, no one, no one moved to the city to, to chill out. So <laughs> no kidding. definitely come here to get your ass kicked. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I definitely, I can agree with that. You know, I was in the same position when I moved here. Um, you know, I had been studying cocktails for quite a while, you know, classics mainly. Um, and just moving to the city, it was like the, the pace and the urgency, even like when you're turning tables at your restaurant or turning customers at your bar, it's like, I mean, not only, you know, people, have stuff to do in the city so it's like all right our dining experience may not be two hours it might be 45 minutes you know and we're trying to pack in that whole experience and uh still got to be on point still got to be on point the entire way so it's like every aspect of of service and and execution is heightened to a very extreme level and it's very scary, especially when you start taking things out like tequila. Somebody's like, I just want a margarita. It's like, you can't have it. <laughs> but I'm going to make you something equally awesome. And then that, and we don't have sodas of any kind either. You know, we make our own soda. So yeah. the poor dude that comes in and wants you know, Diet Coke, d- d- Diet Coke and, and rum or whatever it is yeah. that they're into, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then uh, no tequila. And oh, uh, can I about a, how about a vodka and ginger ale sorry <laughs> yes yeah. the vodka cranberry situation the bacardi and diet situation you know yeah yeah but that's also i mean if you were going to serve those things you might as well be serving like a like a big mac or whatever the hell you know exactly. you can get wherever else you go i mean oh like, yeah the three of us are on exactly. the same page for sure yeah, but, yeah. i mean you, you know, don't come to any of our places or we I, I know we don't go to a lot of places expecting to like Walk in with our order already ready, you know, yeah. or get your diet coke on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've already had five today, so like, uh, you know, I've reached my quota for in the privacy of your hours. home, Danny. <laughs> hey, man, I buy it by the by the pallet load from Sam's Wholesale Club. But I think I also think that people. I mean, it was different, you know, even a year ago, year and a half ago, when we were first, you know, getting our groove on. But people know we don't roll like that now. You know, we're not. 
We're yeah. not like a Diet Coke place. You know, I don't mean mm-hmm. to beat up on Diet Coke. You can beat up on RC if you want. We can beat up on RC for a oh, while. Well, you got to do that, man. I like I RC, man. That's, that's if, you get, man. if you get your barbecue on in Kansas City, it's like RCs right there. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> but people don't expect that from us, so that that really doesn't pose a problem. We they yeah, know they I mean, know what we're up to now. It's yeah. all about like setting up people's expectations and like establishing your style. You know, from the very get go. I mean, totally. like I didn't have vodka at, at Prime Meats for the first you know six months, and finally I was like, you know what? That's. I mean, it was it definitely set kind of a pace for what we do, but you know, it's like okay, now we have one. And yeah. it's local. Is it LIV? Yeah. 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 And it's like, you know, all right, you know what? If we're going to carry this, you know, we're going to make sure that it's something local and cool and like legit and something that you will hopefully enjoy. Totally. You don't, you don't need 20 vodkas behind the bar anyway. I, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. We don't need it. <laughs> no. I mean, how much flavor can you extract from a product, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and, and still, and that, and that be the judgment of quality. Yeah. I'm going to take all the flavor out of this. I'm going to take more. The more flavor I take out yeah. of this, the more you're going to like it. Exactly. That's terrifying. Exactly. I'm not into it. I'm not into it. Um, so has uh, anything been changing as far as like, I know like one of the, getting away from the cocktail part for a little bit. I know you guys, you know, speaking of all uh, like domestic spirits and wines and beers, um, you guys have like, to me, it's a, it always seems like a like a, like we said before. It's a challenge to source source all these products that are domestic, and you know, I hate to say it, but not like every product that's domestic is going to be better for any reason. But there are certain products, you know, especially nowadays, spirits and beers and wines that are coming from the U.S. that are actually really kick ass. And yeah, people totally. are figuring it out, and you know, even I know we were talking a little bit about this before the show but the wines the domestic wines i mean a lot of these vineyards have been now around for you know decades uh that were kind of like basically cloaked by you know like the the shadow of all the the european wines and Mm -hmm. uh, didn't really get a chance until now but you were saying before about some of the tastings you went to recently yeah i mean i I think the first thing to say is just because it's just because it's local in terms of a spirit or you don't bring it in just because it's local. You, you find a local product that you think is quality driven. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't want to have a wine from Kentucky just because it's from Kentucky. If there's a wine in Kentucky that's good, then that's okay. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> but bourbon kind of wins the contest. Yeah, there, exactly. you know? um, so that's, that's first and foremost for us is staying within the confines of domestic everything um, and finding products that we like. Um, but and and you know an area that I'm really hot on right now is Virginia, and one of the biggest challenges about that is actually finding Virginia wines in New York. They're very very hard to come by. Sure. There's not very many, and we have one in front of us. We're going to taste in a minute. Um, Sounds good to me. <laughs> but we did the. Uh, I, I went to a blind tasting in Virginia, and I think when you, no matter how supportive you are of a wine region or an emerging wine region, there's because you haven't heard of it or you're not familiar with it. There's some kind of internal preconceived notion, or I don't want to use the word prejudice, but it kind of lends itself toward that, where you judge it just because you don't know it. And I think Virginia falls into that a little bit. I think New York was in that realm for a long time, but I think it's moving out of it because there's a lot of quality wines coming out of New York. Um, like Rieslings and ice wines. They're yeah, dude. Great, great Rieslings coming from New Cap York. Bronx. Cap I mean, Bronx, totally. Yeah. It's, it's kind of shocking how good they are, like some of these Rieslings. Absolutely. Um, but go ahead. 
No, no, but I'm, I'm, uh, my whole thing is there is a lot of really good wine in Virginia, um, and I'm doing everything I can to get more of it here. Um, we have a few on the list. Uh, Barbersville is one of them that, we're, like I've already said once, we're going to taste. We're going to get to it in a minute. Um, uh, people just need exposure to it. And if you're, you know, I think I said the last time I was on the show, and I still believe it today. Like if the three of us were in Rome right now, you know, there's two big vats behind the bar and a, and a trattoria. One's red and one's white. And they're not from New Zealand. You know, they're from Italy. Right. So I feel very, very committed and stronger now than I did two and a half years ago that, you know, if I have wine on tap or I have a wine list, we're an American restaurant. We're, we need to have American wines. And it doesn't mean I don't love Italian wines. I do. Sure. But I also have the good fortune of, you know, making a statement about having restaurants and expressing things I believe in. And I strongly believe in it, you know, and it, it doesn't mean that everyone from Virginia is good and everyone from New York is good, but guess what? Everyone from Italy is not good. That's and, true. And everyone from France is not good. I can go find a bad one right now. <laughs> you just got to do your homework and find ones that are good and that you feel good about putting them on the list. Yeah. You know, and like you were saying before, this wine tasting that you went to in Virginia, you were tasting some of the, the local like Virginia wines, blind tasting next to some of the different European wines. And what was your experience with that? What Were you uh, surprised by a lot of them or was it kind of what you expected? Uh, it, it exceeded my expectations in that when you really, when the blinders are on and you don't know, you're tasting a Nebbiolo uh, from Virginia versus, uh, you know, a Nebbiolo uh, from northern Italy, left to their own devices and, the, you know, you, you just got these glass in front of you, um, they, they show really, really well. You know, the Cap Franc showed really well. Viognier is, is one of the grapes in uh, Virginia that does exceptionally well. And we paired, we uh, tasted that next to uh, Conjou. Which is, you know, Viognier at its very, yeah. very best, right. and it did very, very well. I'd would, I would say eighty percent of the wines that were put side by side, um, most everybody went with the Virginia wines, and you know, we had, um, you know, we had food and wine people there. We had uh, Stephen Spurrier who did the the Judgment at Paris back in the seventies that brought California wines into prominence. He was on the panel, so it wasn't like. You know, a bunch of guys from Arkansas like me tasting wine. Right. You know, it was like people that really know what the hell they're doing. And um, I don't know. I'm inspired about the future of it. That's that's kind of where I am. I like to see more of it. Yeah, and you know, it's cool to me too. It's like, you know, just uh, on the local like wine based market. I mean, like there's really good domestic vermouths that are coming out. Like over the, even over the last like five years, like you know different types of sherry and kind of like material, like these dessert wines, right. um, like the amber cream that we have one from upstate. That's awesome. Um, really? And you know, and also like taking that in consideration, you know, these regional products, we have lots of apples in the Northwest, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, there are so many great totally. like ciders, local ciders, local like um, apple, like ice wines, things like that, that are just killer. And, Lately, we've been making a point to at my bar to expose those to our customers, and it goes over. It's actually been going over really well because they pair well with our food. But it's also like check out this really weird local thing that yeah. you don't know about that you're two hours away. Yeah, two hours away. Yeah. You can go visit the the vineyard, you know, yeah. or actually orchard, I guess in that case. But but well, yeah, I mean, like I think uh, especially with like the. I mean, I, I feel like. 
not only the culinary, but the cocktail world is making a lot of exposures to those. You know, there was a, a thing recently started happening where people started working war- more with like beer cocktails, which is cool because that's something you guys do. Uh, you know, there's mm-hmm. a, my, one of my favorite cocktails is called the Chevelle, and it's basically a whiskey sour topped with Pilsner. It's like that's like an, that's <laughs> an, an America. Awesome yeah, it's like America in a glass, you know. Um, so I, I love that one, but I've seen a lot of people doing stuff with like local wines as well. I mean, yeah. past the like sangria kind of format too, just like really cool stuff like that, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt, talk about the the drink that uh, Jorge was so excited about for a long time. It's right, rightfully so. It's delicious. Um, it's apple wine, and you can oh. take it from here. I don't, it's delicious. I don't remember what all is in it though. Yeah, no, it's just <clears> a uh, an apple wine sangria basically, with the base being. Um, apple wine and using some Laird's apple brandy um, and then sort of tying into what we were talking about before about you know having more of a, a limited spirit selection and more of a local scene more of a domestic scene we tend to find ourselves pulling from the kitchen you know if I need inspiration or if Jorge our uh, manager needs inspiration um, we can just go to the walk-in or just go to the kitchen and see what's out there and so you know we've got tarragon happening and sage uh, pickled cranberries um, rosemary in this cocktail. Um, it's really cool. Yeah, and so it's it's it definitely like every fall flavor thrown together. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> that's, Cheers. That's great. <laughs> that's, that's, that's badass. Yeah. Um, well, all this uh, talking about wine is making me thirsty. We're going to take a quick break. When we get right. back, let's uh, crack into this Nebbiolo. Yeah, back in a moment. You're listening to Rabies by Huntronic on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. You guys can analyze the wine. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. And we are back. <laughs> we were getting a little chatty there on the break. Um, so we are talking with Rob Newton and Matt Hopkins from Searsucker and Carol Gardens of Brooklyn. And we were just speaking about domestic wines, domestic spirits, and making cocktails using all like all the challenges of using just strictly local and uh, domestic ingredients, which is a really cool thing. A lot of people are... are embracing that these days but you guys are like taking it like all the way home you know and that's really admirable i i i i fear for like ever trying to do that (laughs) (laughs) i like operating in that box yeah it's fine i mean challenges are always great but you guys you guys are really taking it to you know the next level which is 
Awesome. Um, so right before the break, you were talking about this Nebbiolo that you wanted to try from uh, Virginia. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I said a lot about Virginia wine, so I'll, I'll give that a rest, and we'll talk about a specific specific one. Barbersville is right outside of uh, Charlottesville, right, pretty much in the center of the state. Um, it's owned by the Zonin family, I believe. They have huge acreage of wine country all over Italy, and this is... I think one of their only properties they own in America. And they bought this property in the 70s, and the wine uh, sort of started coming into its own in the 80s. And I, th- I mean, I think it's really, really good now. I think it's gradually gotten better over the, over the last decades. <clears throat> but uh, this is Nebbiolo. And what's cool about this is the winemaker, uh, Luca, is uh, from Piedmonte. And oh, cool. there's a lot of Nebbiolo going on up there. And this is 2008. Uh, very small production. Uh, the vines are about a decade old, I think. Um, what do you guys think about it? I think it's got a really light body for for a Nebbiolo. You know, exactly. it's, it, it, the the aromatics and like the finish are there. You know, it's got like a, a kind of medium tannic finish. I mean, it's it's reminiscent of like a classic Nebbiolo, but it's like it's actually a little bit softer on on mm-hmm. that attack and that body, which. Make would make it a, a really good food wine, you know. Yeah, totally. What do people when they drink this, Matt? What are they? What kind of feedback do you get at the bar? Well, I think it's it's more of just you know it's a delicious wine first and foremost. Um, and I have yet to dislike any of the Barbersville wines. What we have got like four or five on the list now. Uh, we're at four, and we're getting ready to do a uh, Pinot Grigio by the glass. That's oh, coming up awesome. soon. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if people are looking for the big classic <clears throat> Piedmont style Nebbiolo, then. This may not be the thing for them, but you have that conversation with them and get them excited about a delicious wine that has the aromatics, that has, uh, in some ways, a similar tannin structure, um, but a much lighter body. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, like I said, it's delicious, and that's sort of the best part. Yeah. It's changed a lot since we opened it, right? Yeah, it's actually, it's, uh, some of the fruits dropped out now. It's like, it's been open for 20 minutes now. Yeah, about, about that. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's also going back to like what we were saying before about like when you're picking out like not, you know, every spirit's great that's local. You know, you've got to taste them and try them out. And also, I mean, that's just a part of like customer service is like knowing the products and being able to, again, going back to what we were saying before, build those expectations and in the correct way. And, you know, like you said, you know, it's not like a traditional Piemonte uh, Nebbiolo, but here's why you'd like it. And this is why it works you know mm. and that's exciting to you know just like from the terroir of like any kind of uh not only wines but spirits and beer and everything it's like you really get to taste the differences from the same base product you know and i think that's really cool you know i think i mean you know, these wine regions are you know four decades you know from the 70s you know that's virginia and new york it got rolling in the 70s, like I said before. So they, they don't have a lot of years under their belt. You know, they've been making wine in Bordeaux for hundreds of years. Yeah. yeah. You know, so the progress that they've made, and, and even in the last 10 years, I've been drinking Virginia wines for about eight years now, and I've been drinking New York wines for 15, 16 years. I mean, the progress that's been made there, especially with, with the latter, the New York wines, is just it's kind of shocking. I'm gonna, you know? I just want to interject real quick. This is a, a really dorky piece of history, Uh-oh. but I'm going to say this to anyone who discounts any uh, domestic wines. 
over, you know, like European wines. If it wasn't for American rootstocks in the late 19th century, mm. you wouldn't have European wines. Fair enough. From True the Phylloxera breakout. True so, story. big pat on the back for us. <laughs> That's <laughs> the our US saved wine. <laughs> to the world of wine. That's absolutely true. You're Phylloxera. welcome. You're welcome, France. Spelled <laughs> <laughs> you out again. <laughs> oh, that's right. a different show. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna have to do a hard edit on this one, Jack. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, this is a great wine. I, I love it. I'm, yeah, I'm glad it's based on its own merits. I hate to keep yeah. interjecting, but like what I was saying before was uh, just about analyzing the wine on its own thing and without mm-hmm. the preconceived like oh Virginia and immediately it drops down like or, or New Mexico like the Gruet that we have right. That's people don't amazing. even know it's from New Mexico, and it's sure. it's awesome. And there's an awesome sparkling wine that we have from Virginia. Um, and the connect, the reason I'm bringing that up is the connection between the two is they're both uh, from Champagne families from Champagne, and they're making sparkling wine in America, and they're both extraordinary. Dude, I mean, they really, really are. Absolutely, Argyle from Oregon, awesome, amazing sparkling wine. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's there's pretty much like in, in that whole realm, it's like you wouldn't be able to tell like what's What's from where? And the thing I like about this is like some funk and kind of dirty mustiness on, on the finish that I don't really think you see a lot in California. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Virginia wines to me, the ones that I've had um, fall somewhere between like if you hate California wines um, and you're Mr. Old World, uh, I think Virginia wines fall squarely somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know, they're not fruit bombs and they're not. Um, Super dirt road, mushroomy leather, uh, right bank Bordeaux. You know they're just somewhere right in the middle, and I think that uh, middle ground is 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 an is an area that people that it can reach a lot of palates. Yeah. Speaking of a lot of palates, you've got some stuff in the works right now. <laughs> That's a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> what is your uh, your new project that you've got going on just one block away from Searsucker? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a Vietnamese place. Uh, it's called Nightingale Nine. And one thing I'm really excited about, and I'm glad that you share my excitement, is that it's, we're going to have a bar, or a restaurant for that matter, that's not going to have any bottles. We're going to have all the beers on tap, uh, all the wine is going to be on tap, and we're going to do it on water, which we've done from day one at Searsucker, because I think bottled water is kind of silly. Yeah. So we're going to filter our own and pass it on to the guests for free. Um, I love this concept. The bottle is <laughs> really excited. About is it. I'm glad you so did. So cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're just doing beer and wine. Yeah, of course, it makes it makes it possible. So it course. makes it possible. Yeah. And you're you said you're only going to have two different types of glasses. Yeah, we're going to have the little eight ounces, which I don't know what those are called, like little mini rocks glass. I guess what you said it? they were like casino glasses. I, like I didn't the, I like think we we're going to talk about on air. Call my, casino glass. Like my that. mom gave it to me. She gets them in a casino at Tunica and in, in that I guess it's Mississippi uh, on the Mississippi River. But is that like is that like thanks, a short Matt, beer or my a mom giant under shot? the bus? What's that now? Is that a short beer or a giant shot? <laughs> well, that's the thing. We can have a pint glass for people that want a pint of beer, and then the eight ounce glass will be Shorties. for a half pint, yeah. and then we can also do wine in there because it's, it's super easy it's wine on tap so that's the thing you know not every wine has to be a bordeaux or or you know a 200 dollars burgundy it's just just drink it and enjoy it and it's local and it's tasty and especially when you're gonna have some I'm fiery really vietnamese it. food going on you're gonna want to yeah. just <laughs> extinguish we're not even gonna have red wine man that's like, awesome who wants red wine with with asian food nobody is the answer <laughs> you know that's what I awesome mean? So, so we're psyched. Yeah. So what uh, what stage are you at with this new development? Uh, we're building. We're building now. This is the funnest part. The next ten years is the hard work. This is the fun stuff. Um, 
today I was there all day. So we we framed out the kitchen yesterday, and we're framing. We're doing the layout for the bar now. We found everything, almost everything in there that that I could harvest from Build It Green here in New York. Um, I am. So our bar is going to be made out of old brass post office doors, which are sick. super sick and cool. And uh, you know, I bought a whole pallet full of broken down, torn up church pews, and we're going to use that for wainscoting around the. It's just going to be really, really cool, man. Nice. So we're we're building out, and I hope January, but that might mean April. You never know. That's usually how it goes, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. So what what made you uh, want to do Vietnamese food? Um, is it just like like I, you seem to me, to me to be the kind of guy who has like all these di- ideas that he throws in the hat, and he's like, "I'm going to do all these one of these days." It's just which one's next? I'm just going to pick <laughs> that one out. <laughs> well, in the coolest way. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's something like that. But but the one that I'm most in, you know I have a few things I want to do, but the thing I'm really excited about is doing the kind of Vietnamese food that I want, and the kind of Vietnamese food, Vietnamese food that I want I can't find in New York. And you're still going to be source, uh, sourcing locally, right? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, that's true. Carrie and I have, even before we even knew each other, we mutually love Carrie's my business partner and girlfriend. For those of you that don't know, um, and we're we just really love the flavors of, of Vietnamese cuisine. And when I actually came to New York, I went to work for a Cambodian chef um, at Le Cirque way back in the day um, because I wanted to explore those flavors. Because growing up in the South, like you did. Country ham and collard greens. When I got turned on to coffee or lime and coconut milk and lemongrass, it yeah. blew my mind. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean, so I want to explore that now. And luckily, why, we're why in a is this fish not cooked? That's why I was thinking when I first had sushi. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Yeah, rip off. What's going yeah. on outside of my like four hundred person hometown? <laughs> it's not at the. Uh, it's not the gas station. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's great. I mean, like, and I think like. It's not only something that like our neighborhood needs, but like you know, it's cool. Yeah, there's that. You know, it's a business aspect of it for sure. For sure, there's but it's need. like we need yeah. we need cool stuff like that around like the cool stuff that you've been like even Smith Canteen, your coffee shop, man. Place is always packed. Yeah, this is you know the the thing I'm trying to do with the Vietnamese places. I wanted a place like Smith Canteen, uh, so we built it, and it turns out other people wanted it too. Yeah, you know, and I think they're going to want the kind of Vietnamese food that I want to eat, and I'm certainly like I'm a big white guy from arkansas you know i'm not i'm not vietnamese but i know what i want and i know the kind of vietnamese food i want and i'm not going to position myself as like the expert on vietnamese food but i'm just going to take our commitment to sourcing and where we get things from and it's applied to that cuisine that's sure. really all we're doing at well, the end of the day i mean to me if you don't mind me saying like it's the same kind of idea with seersucker it's like you know we're both from the south we know what like southern cooking is totally. you're not doing it by the book southern no you're doing it you know what Doing the way I want it. The way you want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, exactly. And that's extremely admirable. And the food's delicious, by the way. So I can't, like, Seersucker is one of my favorite places to hang out. I appreciate it. It is two blocks away from my house, so it makes it very easy. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like I'm there, like, pretty much every Tuesday. I mean, you have the fried chicken all the time now, but. It's like, all the time. I'm so man. used to yeah. it being just Tuesday nights from back I in the day. I feel you, man. <laughs> I lost that battle. I lost, the, I, I threw in the towel in the fried chicken battle, man. I can't win that. Dude, I mean, but it's great. Like, yeah, it's good. It's good that you it had such a following that people are like, you should have this every night. Followings help. That's yeah, <laughs> great. So yeah, I'm really excited for the new place, and uh, and congrats on the success of like the two ventures that you have now, Matt, the, rocking the cocktails and kicking ass all domestic and local, and that's really cool, man. And I, I I'm excited to fun. see how this turns out. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's always man. nice to be here. Likewise, man. Anytime you guys want to come back, feel free. All right. 
That's it for today. You've been talking with Rob Newton and Matt Hopkins. Join us next week for a special edition of the Speakeasy. Next Wednesday is December 5th. That is repeal day. And also my two-year anniversary of being with the Heritage Radio Network. All right. That's it for the Speakeasy. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.